John chapter 6, if you have a Bible, you can open up. It'll be up on the screen as well. All right, John chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 25. And this is what it says. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Lord, we thank you for your word. May you use it to shape our hearts today. Amen. So, pretty cool passage, right? I like it. Um, before we, uh, we kind of get into it, and this is, uh, this is something we should probably tell ourselves before like every sermon that we listen to. Uh, so, like if at any point during the message we begin thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here today, or, you know, I, I wish that guy across the room, I, I hope he's really paying attention to this, we have to remind ourselves that I'm not talking to them, I'm talking to you, Okay. Uh, and we also have to, and I'll do the same thing, I'll, whenever I start thinking, man, I really hope they're listening to this one, uh, I'll, I'll remind myself I'm talking to my, myself, I'm talking to me. Anyway. All right, so very first thing that I want you to notice in this passage is that we jumped in like right in the middle of it. Uh, we, we, we jumped in when, when the story was already happening and then we jump out like before it's over. So there's a lot of stuff going on that we didn't read and, and I think it's important uh, that we kind of zoom out a little bit, uh, take, take a look at the landscape, try to figure out everything that's happening in this passage so we can kind of get the big picture. And, and so this is what's happening. So uh, the day before... Uh, Jesus does this really big miracle, right? There is a crowd that gathered. There's, you know, thousands of people there. Uh, and it was lunchtime, uh, or maybe it was breakfast time, or second breakfast, or 11Zs. That's a joke only a few of you will get, um, which is okay. Uh, so, but whatever time it was, they were hungry, okay? They were hungry, and Jesus is like, I got to feed these people. So he borrows this kid's lunch, you know, a few slices of bread and some fish. And, and you probably know the story. He, he blesses it uh, and then feeds the multitude with this uh, little bit of food. Uh, and so everybody's sitting there fat and happy, and, um, and it's just a pretty amazing thing. Uh, but that's not, I mean, that's not the whole story. See, because the reason the crowd had gathered there that day was because... 
they would heard about or, or witnessed some different miracles that Jesus uh, had performed. And so that kind of piqued their interest. They wanted to go uh, see what this guy was all about. And then and they, maybe they heard about or heard some of the, the teachings that, that Jesus uh, had. And so they said, you know what, maybe this, this guy's worth listening. So they go out and this crowd's gathered. And now after they see this big miracle, like I said, they're, they're fat and happy. And, and so they decide, you know, I can really get behind this guy. Let's make him king. Which goes to show us, if you want to be king, give people free food. Um, but, but here's a curious thing about the, the, the passage. Jesus knew that they wanted to make him king. And he's like, no, not going to let that happen. So he kind of slips away. Uh, n- nighttime comes, the, the, the disciple, his, his 12, uh, they get on a boat, they go across the lake. Jesus uh, walks on the water uh, and goes and meets them over there. And then in the morning... Uh, a lot of these people from this crowd, they wake up and they're hungry because, and I know this, is, this will be shocking, uh, after you eat, even after you eat free food, a few hours later you're going to be hungry. And so they wake up and they're hungry. And they say, you know what, we got to find this Jesus guy. Uh, and, and so that's where our passage picks up today. But I want to say this, like if, if, if you're reading through John chapter 6, and you stop right there at verse 25 before Jesus says anything at all. And you just kind of look at the behavior, the actions of, uh, of this crowd, as they're called. You would look at it and say, you know, they did everything right. You know, I grew up in church. And, and so I'm qualified to, to point out good church people behavior when I see it. And, and right here, this crowd, this is good church people behavior because what they did is they woke up early and they, they were seeking Jesus, right? Like I've been told a bunch of times that's what we're supposed to do. Uh, and not only were they seeking Jesus, like just before that, they, they wanted to make him king. And I've been told a bunch of times that Jesus not only needs to be your savior, he needs to be your king. He, you, you need to make him the Lord of your life. And so if you're looking at just what these people were doing, like on the surface, it seems that they were doing everything correctly. And so it seems like when they get to Jesus, you'd hear Jesus say, way to go, guys. Good job. Very truly I tell you, you know, uh, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, he would say something to encourage this good behavior. But we read it. We know that's not what Jesus says, right? Because Jesus knew why they are really there. And so, so he looks at him and says, you know, I know where you're, why you're here. You're just looking for another free meal. You're, you're working so hard and you're putting so much focus and effort and attention to your next meal. Focus completely on this, this temporary thing. And because of that, you're missing out on this great big thing that's happening right in front of you. You need to be focused in on what's eternal, on eternity. So again, on the surface, looking at their actions, they did everything right. But Jesus sees past the show. Jesus sees past the, the facade. Jesus sees past the things that, that other people see and don't see. He sees even past our, our, our mixed uh, uh, motives and, and corruptions and the things that we don't even know about that are going on inside of us. And he sees uh, through all of that and he sees right to the belly of the matter. And, they knew, and he knew that they weren't, they weren't looking for him. They were looking for the next meal. So he calls him on it. He says, I know why you guys are here. You can't fool me. But instead of kind of changing their tune, what they decide to do, at least this is how I interpret uh, the story, what they decide, they just kind of double down on, the, uh, on their 
their insistence, right? They, they just keep going at it full force. And, and this is what they tell Jesus. And this is verse 30 in John chapter 6. It says, so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, they're still obsessed with filling their, their bellies. Because, see, what they're talking about here is the Exodus. A huge event in Israel's history, right? Uh, happened quite a while before this encounter of, with Jesus and, and, and this crowd. And, and what it is, is the, the Israelites found themselves in slavery uh, under the power of the Egyptians. And they were in slavery for like 400 years. And then God sends Moses. You know the story of Moses. They made some movies about him. Uh, and... and freeze through a whole series of events, freeze the Israelites, and they find themselves in the wilderness, wandering around on their way to this land that God had promised them. And one of the things that God does for them on this long and difficult wilderness journey is he provides every day manna from heaven. And they'd wake up and boom, there it is, food on the ground. Um, And they'd be provided for every day. And, And so... These, these guys, what they're, they're saying is, hey, Jesus, we need a sign. And by the way, Moses, he got people food every day. Every day. And, and so they, they don't give up on their quest for the next meal. They, they're like, let's see if we can get this guy to feed us every day. After all, Moses. So. Which, I think, pretty clever idea. Right? Maybe we should try it sometimes. Like, God, if this is really what you want me to do, then I just I need a sign. If you could just give me a a great big house on the beach and a, a three car garage and a Lamborghini and uh, a couple of horses and uh, you know a mountain view and that's kind of what's what's happening here. And uh, so focused on the free food, right? They were missing the point, and Jesus knew it. And he knew that they didn't understand what was happening right in front of them. And I do wonder how often we as God's people completely miss the point of things. I wonder how often I miss the point. I wonder how often uh, our requests for a sign are just really badly veiled attempts to get what we want and still sound religious and spiritual. I wonder how often our selfishness is disguised as seeking Jesus or how often our distrust and hatred towards others is disguised as piety. I wonder uh, if sometimes we go to worship more to to make ourselves feel good than to actually seek and get a glimpse of the, the heart of God and to find out exactly who he is. I wonder if without even realizing it, we get wrapped up in things that just don't matter, like the color of the carpet, the color of the paint, the style of music, how loud it is, how quiet it is, if the lights are right in the room or if the temperature is correct, and and we get wrapped up on all these things that we end up missing the point entirely. I shared with first service, so I'll share with you, I I think often about the very first time I, I preach. I was 15, I was in a, like a hotel conference room, just a small room, and uh, my friends mostly is who I was talking to, and, and I stood there the whole time holding onto that microphone so tight, I'm, I'm 
Surprised it didn't break, except for I wasn't very strong. Still not. I don't know if you can tell. But, and, and, and I stared at my feet the whole time. And I was playing with the cord just to, to get my mind focused on something else. And I just powered through it. I, I wonder sometimes if God was more pleased with, with that sermon that was probably not very good at all than he is with every other sermon I've tried to produce and make polished and correct. And I wonder sometimes if we just miss the point. I wonder if our theology is becoming more and more self-centered. Because isn't it strange that when we go out and we seek after God, we think we find him when everything starts to go our way? See, when we ask for a sign, we don't usually have something in mind that would be bad, right? We have things in mind that are beneficial and pleasing to us. We don't typically pray things like, God, if you want me to serve in this area, open my eyes to the needs and and show me all the different ways I can and need to sacrifice in order to to get this job that you have given me done. Uh, Give me the the courage and the strength and the faith to to persevere even though I know it's going to be really hard. Give me the the courage I need to to do what you want uh, and the faith uh, that I need uh, even though I'm so scared that, that I don't feel at peace about anything anymore. Just help me, God. We don't typically ask for those sorts of signs, at least not me. See, we typically talk about promotions and raises, and look, now I'm actually, I'm able to buy that brand new truck I've always wanted, and look, you know, everything's going right, so it must mean that God's in it. Maybe we're missing it. So these guys, they come to Jesus completely missing the point. And we can't blame them, really. I mean, they're, they're six chapters into a 21-chapter book. And we've got all 21 chapters. We've got three other gospels. We've got the rest of the Bible. We've got 2,000 years of church teaching and tradition and history. I mean, we've got volumes of books written just on this one passage. And we have all of that, and we still miss the point. So we can't blame these guys. But we do need to ask, what is the point? If they were missing the point, then what was the point? What is it that they were missing? The answer that's simple, and you probably already know it, and at risk of being too cliche and giving you a Sunday school answer, they were missing Jesus, right? They, they were not seeing Jesus for who he truly is. But Jesus helps them out and says, okay, you need a sign. I can work with that. You, you want that sign to be bread. Okay, I can, I can work with that also. And uh, you need some sort of sustenance to get you through the journey, just like, you know, Moses and your ancestors. He's like, okay, I can work with that. Look no further. I, I am that sign. I am that bread. Uh, I am that, that sustenance that will get you through the wilderness. Follow me. Look to me. Focus on me. Consume me. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you think that sounds morbid, that's like exactly what he tells them later on in the chapter. They need to get very, very acquainted with exactly who Jesus is. They need to get close enough to see him for who he is. Now, one of the things I do is I'm kind of working through these passages and 
uh, you know, staring at my desk thinking, you know, I, I ask a lot of questions, or at least I try to, and sometimes they're good questions, sometimes they're not. Sometimes the, the questions get answers, and sometimes they don't, and, and really it's just fun to just kind of guess sometimes. But, but anyway, one of the questions that just kind of stayed right there at the center of my, my mind when I was going through this is, why in the world didn't Jesus let them make him king? I was back up there in verse 15. We didn't read that portion this morning. But it kind of plays into later on because what he tells them in like verse 29, a part we did read, he, he says, you need to believe in me. And then later on in verse 36, he's like, I told you before, you don't believe in me. And, and I just kept thinking, they were trying to make you king, Jesus. What do you mean they don't believe in you? Like I've been told my whole life, believe in Jesus, make him king. Like these things are, are synonymous, right? So I got to thinking, you know, let's say your friends invite you to someone's house, a stranger, someone you don't know yet, and for dinner, and you sit down at the table, and they bring you out this great meal, and it is the, the best meal you've ever had, and you've, you've just discovered that this person is the world's best cook. And so right there on the spot, you look at them in all seriousness, and you say, will you marry me? Now, probably going to say no and, and if you really persist you're like well why not why won't you marry me they, they might say something like well if we get married I want you to love me and to love me you have to know me you have to be around me and before I can be your spouse you've, you've got to know what kind of spouse that I'm going to be you have to know more about me than I can cook some really good food now for some of you that might be enough but See, before we can believe in Jesus, we need to know what it is we're believing in. And here's the big one. Before Jesus can be our king, we need to know what kind of king he is. See, these people, they needed to follow him. They needed to, to watch him. They, they needed to listen to him. They, they needed to see him walk up to the leper and, and to heal him. They, they needed to see him spit in the dirt and rub the mud on someone's eyes. They, they needed to see him show compassion on, uh, with the woman caught in the act of adultery. They needed to see him go up to the, you know, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that everybody else uh, you know, in, in the Jewish culture and in the Samaritan culture, culture looked down upon and offer her life and forgiveness. They needed to see all of that. They, they needed to see him uh, or hear him say, pick up your cross and follow me they needed to hear him warn of the, the hardships and the difficulties and the persecutions that they were going to face in life they, they needed to see him flip some tables over in the temple they needed to see him wash people's feet and look at them and say this is what you need to do as well because servants are not greater than the master they need to see him hanging on the cross, naked and vulnerable and humiliated, saying things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they needed to see the power of the resurrection. There's no way in the world these people knew what they were asking, knew what they were wanting when they wanted to make Jesus king. And the sad thing is, 
Most of the people, probably, maybe all the people, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say, in that crowd, they didn't get a, to, to witness or see any of that because if you kept reading down John, John chapter 6, you're eventually going to get to verse 66 and you're going to read these words where it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So I guess the question for us as people who uh, maybe we've been around in church for a while. Maybe we haven't. But we, we know about some of these things that Jesus said and did. And we know about the, the hardships and the difficulties that he's promised us. We know of the command to take up our cross and to follow him. We know all of these things. And so uh, I guess the, the question is, since we, we know more or less what kind of king he is, do we want him to be our king? And I think that's a more difficult question than we sometimes think it is. Because if we live in this world with Jesus as our king, it is very likely going to make our life more difficult and not more easy. It's very likely going to, to compound some of the, the, the troubles and the hardships and the things that we face, not reduce them. And I know that's not necessarily what we always hear from the guy on the stage with the microphone, but, but it's the truth because living in a world that, that values like winning over everything is hard if we follow a king that went to the cross. Living in, in, in a world that's all about accumulating as much wealth and as much stuff as we possibly can is hard when we realize that our king once told a guy to sell everything he had and give it to the poor. Living in a world that's all about fighting for your rights, getting what's yours, is hard when we realize that our king freely gave up all of his rights to the point of death. A world that sees weakness as weakness instead of an attribute. It says, if you don't get your way, then just take your ball and go home. Hold grudges, get revenge, show them who is boss. And we hear our king say, forgive, love, show grace. And then realize that we're called to do that day in and day out. In our very own wilderness journey, It's a hard thing. But I also know this. It's worth it. Because as we live this way, the way of the cross, the way of love, the way of Jesus, the way of servanthood, as we live this way, what we're doing is we are building up his kingdom. What we're doing is we are, we are reshaping and, and we are changing the, the future. We are, we are uh, reshaping the very fabrics of space and time. We are affecting eternity. We, we, we are rewriting a, a corrupt narrative that, that defines and ensnares everybody in our society. And, and by living the way of the cross, we are undoing that we are part of something big. And big things are hard. And big things are worth it. And you thought it was all about making sure you get to heaven when you die. And as we walk this path, 
There's going to be times when we want to give up. When we wonder if it's really worth it. When, when we think maybe we're the ones that have things backwards and upside down. When things don't make sense. When we're asked to endure things that make us uncomfortable or love people that we don't really like. There's going to be times when we're not sure we have enough faith and that selfishness wins out and we end up complaining and gossiping more than we know we should. There's going to be times when we feel completely and utterly alone and lost and our most honest prayer is, God, where in the world are you? And we'll feel drained and weak and hungry for some sort of sustenance. And it's my prayer that in those times we hear the voice of Jesus say, I am the bread of life. Come to me. Look to me. Follow my steps. I will guide you. I will sustain you. Maybe the signs that we're looking for in life shouldn't be everything's going right, so I must be on the right path. Maybe it's everything's so hard, I must be living the way Jesus wants me to. We're going to end today by taking communion. This is honestly one of my favorite things to do as a pastor. And I thought, really, what more fitting way to close out today's service than to take communion? And I believe, like, when we participate in such, this, such a simple thing, you know, a, a wafer that looks and tastes a little bit like styrofoam and a cup of a juice, you know, we believe that somehow, some way, in, in that Christ is present with us in a special way. Uh, and I don't try to explain exactly how that works. I, I don't know. Uh, but I, I believe it's true that as we do this, Christ is present with us in a special way. And in communion, when we take this together, we remember the, the life and the death of Jesus, as well as his resurrection and the fact that he is indeed coming again one day. We acknowledge our, our weakness in this life. And we come to the communion table together as a family to remind us that we don't eat this bread of life alone, but together as a community. And I think today that as we Remember, in, in one regard, that Jesus went to the cross so we wouldn't have to. In a whole other regard, maybe we need to remember that Jesus went to the cross because that's what we need to do also. And so today, I would ask that as we take communion together, we remember that the way of the cross is the way of the Christian. It's the way that we are called to live following in the footsteps of the king. And as we come to the table today for sustenance, 
on our own wilderness journey. Perhaps the sustenance that we find is his example laid out for us as a reminder that we are on the right path. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for your word, for your grace, for who you are. God, I don't know what kind of weeks or months or years, Lord, that people in this room have had. And God, I don't know what they need, but Lord, I know that you know. So God, I pray today that as we take communion together, you would bestow on each of us, Lord, the, the grace that we need from you. And that we would find just a little bit of encouragement in all this and the strength to continue to press on. And Lord, I pray a blessing on these elements, Lord. That they would be for us your body and your blood given to us, uniting us as one people. So that when we leave here today, Lord, we would be true representations of the body of Christ for this world. Forsaking all else. I pray this in your name. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. We're going to sing one last song together as, as we do. If you want to stand, please do. If you want to sit in contemplation, you're allowed to do that too. But let's sing.
Lord, I pray a blessing on those of us gathered here today, Lord, each family. Lord, give us the the strength and the, the wisdom and the faith and the love and all those things, Lord, that we need from day to day, from week to week. God, you're a good God. You're a good father, and we know we can trust you, so we pray your will be done in all things. I'm going to leave you all with this blessing here. It's from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin so that easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. They're going to sing the chorus one more time. Feel free to stay and and join. Um, If not, just exit down on the, the right side and just remember all those social distancing protocols. God bless you. Oh, come to.